The Ravens showed that Christmas in Santa Clara wasn't a fluke as they eviscerated the Dolphins to clinch the number one seed in the AFC. Is this team destined for a Super Bowl run? Controversy in Dallas? What in the hell has happened to the Eagles? I'll have all the drama Week 17 had to offer as we get ready for the final weekend of the NFL season. Is Michigan primed to slay the semifinal beast? Can Washington continue their magic carpet ride? The college football playoffs are here as I'll preview what's to come. The Pistons finally snap their long losing streak. The Knicks make a shrewd deal with Toronto. And the Atlanta Braves continue to wheel and deal this offseason as they take a chance on a former ace ready to take them back to a World Series. The ball has dropped as we kick off a huge year on the podcast with the very first edition of 2024. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here to spend a brief moment and share a friendly reminder to please subscribe, rate, review the podcast on whichever platform you listen to on the regular. Just so we can increase the visibility of the J Reels podcast to those who aren't familiar with it. Leave plenty of stars, write a favorable review. It will go a long way for the curious listener looking to hop on board to get a dose of entertaining and passionate sports talk. For the visually inclined, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, at J Reels, as I post daily shorts and weekly vlogs not only delving into the world of sports, but follow my journey as I provide an in-depth, behind-the-scenes look at what it takes for yours truly to produce content on a day-in, day-out, week-in, week-out basis. It goes without saying how much I really appreciate all of your support. And without further ado, the J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What? is happening my good people greetings how are you how's it going how's everybody doing out there what is the latest and greatest hope everybody's doing well feeling fantastic in excellent spirits and why not it is a new year it is a festive mood as we usher in 2024 with plenty to get into unpack and uncover as this year will be one to look forward to and to definitely remember as this is the j reels podcast with your host j reels for my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back, and yes, new day, new week, new month, new year, nothing but newness throughout the course of this podcast as we look forward to what the following 365, including today, because it is a leap year, remember, February 29th here in 2024, But as of right this second, I am just elated. I'm excited for what's to come. You definitely want to keep your ear close to your headphones, speakers, or earbuds because there's going to be a lot that will take place in the coming weeks. I can't tip my hand as of yet. Definitely keep your eyes glued to my YouTube channel, at JReels, because I will be slowly but surely revealing some things as we go along throughout the course of this month and definitely into next month. So you want to keep your fingers on the pulse of what's happening, not only with me, yours truly, but the podcast, because it is time to take this sucker to new heights. Think about this. Two months from this very day will be six years doing the podcast. I started this journey March 1st, 2018, and now that we're past the half decade point, it is time to go to a different level, different stratosphere, and I'm glad to start off this year here on a Monday, technically the first day of the week, but like I mentioned, day week, month, year to kick us off here. I am jubilant. I am excited. I am looking forward to what the future has in store. And I hope you follow me along on this journey because I will carry you throughout what's not only happening in the world of sports, but also with yours truly as well in relation to the podcast. So let's put that all aside. Let's get to what you're really here for. But I just had to put that out there. And of course, a happy new year. Please, people, do not Take time for granted. Make sure that whatever it is that you have mapped out throughout the course of the year, take advantage, go full bore, don't hold back, because as we all know, time waits for no one, time has no friends, it is precious as we all know, so you definitely want to take advantage to what it is that you have, whatever, it can be the smallest goal, the biggest goal, 
Just go out there and do it. Be kind. Be nice along the way. Don't try to take shortcuts or take advantage of people. With that being said, you know where I'm coming from, so let's get right to it. One more time, the reason why you're here. And if yesterday is any indication, or really the last seven days, of what the Baltimore Ravens has shown, not only the NFL, their fans, etc., but pretty much the sports world, knowing that this is a team looks locked, cocked, loaded, and ready to just wreak havoc throughout the course of this month and maybe even into February. And this is a team that I have a lot of disdain for as a huge Steeler fan. But of course, I have to be objective. Now, you know the bucket of cold water is coming. And there are some legitimate reasons as to why that I have the big giant, however many gallon of water that I'm going to pour, not only just on the Ravens themselves, but the fans. But I have to give them a ton of credit because when you look back a week ago today on Christmas night, whether they took that game personal being a five and a half point underdog in Santa Clara against the Niners, and you saw what they did to them. And then yesterday with the Dolphins coming up the coast and knowing that they needed to at least get one good road win under their belts to get ready for, we would think, a number one seed, maybe even a division that they would have had wrapped. And looking at the AFC picture going through Miami, that is not the case because what you saw there in Baltimore was just a complete beatdown. Now, mind you, there were two plays that turned the fortunes of this game right before the half at 21-13 where the Dolphins were driving and Tua throws an interception there to Roquan Smith. And then that fourth and seven completion, which was unbelievable when you think about it, they decided to go for it. They didn't want to kick a long field goal. And in doing so, Lamar Jackson finds Isaiah Likely a one-handed grab near the sideline and then goes up the sideline into the end zone with seconds left to go in the half. And that was your game. Because from that point on, the Ravens just steamrolled to a 56-19 drubbing of the Miami Dolphins. And I'll get to them in a moment. But for the Ravens who are clicking on all cylinders, you could even arguably say that, have they peaked? Knowing that this team has been good all year. And yes, they do have some bad losses under their belt. In particular, the Indianapolis game at home and then the game in Pittsburgh where they lost and they had no business losing. When we uncover that, and of course that's for down the road, but not for right this second. And the Ravens, we know that they're a team that I'm sure they are just looking at a path to get to Vegas, Allegiant Stadium, to be the AFC representative come the middle of February. And they're surely looking like a team that are taking no prisoners, pulling no punches. You see what they've done here offensively, and now with big time offensive players. The Justice Hills, the Gus Edwards, who's been there for many years, the Rashad Batemans, obviously Zay Flowers, the rookie out of Boston College, has made a huge contribution to this team. That Odell Beckham Jr. is window dressing. He is literally a hood ornament on this team because how many big-time splash plays that he's made throughout the course of the year, you could probably count them on one hand. And this was a guy brought to Baltimore to be that threat, to be that guy that could take this offense to a next level And believe it or not, they don't even need them. The offense is already at that level to where they're just piling up points. They're leaving teams in their wake and good teams, I might add. All you got to do is just look at the last two weeks to show and prove. So the Ravens, for all that they've done here throughout the course of the year, but in particular these last two weeks, there isn't anything much more you could say as a team that is on a mission to get to a Super Bowl. And they've already wrapped up the one seed by beating the Dolphins. And I'm sure they may put their feet up this coming week against Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh's going to need the game. And of course, I'll get to all the permutations in regards to the playoffs in a moment. But for the Ravens and them locking the one seed and them now having their eyes set on the postseason, this is going to be a very interesting week because although it is Steelers week and although it's not going to have any implication as far as the Ravens, let's say, needing the game to get to the postseason? Because like I mentioned, it is all wrapped up. They could pretty much put their feet up until the middle of January, or really late January when you think about it. But the one thing, or really two things, now here comes the cold water, people. Two things that I'd be concerned, if you're a Raven fan, supporter, or just a casual fan, diehard NFL fan, you name it. What are they going to do this week to get themselves 
in preparation for the postseason. Are they going to play their starters, let's just say, for a quarter? Maybe even a half, dare I say. And I would think they'd call the dogs off no matter what. Or is John Harbaugh, the coach, just going to pull in the reins to say, for all your hard work, I'm giving everybody the week off, so that means Lamar Jackson, maybe Gus Edwards gets a few snaps, but you figure that Odell Beckham Jr., maybe even the defense, the Roquan Smiths of the world, the Marlon Humphreys, we could go on down the list. Do they get a bit of an early vacation, which would put them in a little bit of danger? Because if you give those big-time players the entire week off to the point where they won't play this week, they have the bye, as we know, and then three weeks before their next big game, whomever that may be in the divisional round, that is a gamble that will certainly be one to watch this coming week into the game, which is going to be on Saturday. Steelers at Ravens, 4.30 ABC. As you'll have a doubleheader with the Texans and Colts pretty much playing a win-or-go-home type of game. But how Harbaugh is going to navigate this over the course of the week, and especially when we get to Saturday 4.30, is going to be fascinating. I would think, me personally, you have to give these guys at least a quarter. At least that. Let them get the air of competition. Let them just get there. Whatever it is. Few drives, few snaps, and then you could pull them out, put them even in street clothes after halftime, and away we go. I think that'd be the best thing, and I understand that part of that gamble means that you could get any of those key players injured. But what do you do? Do you give them a complete blow to where they're going to have three weeks off, or are you going to play them, run the risk of injury, but at the same time be that well-oiled machine heading into that bye week and then get ready for the divisional round there, January, off the top of my head, I guess the 21st. And then the other thing is too, this Raven team, who have been to the playoffs last year, as we know, they lost in the wild card round to the Bengals. But even though John Harbaugh has won a Super Bowl, but mind you, that path to winning that Super Bowl was on the arm of Joe Flacco, who did not have an interception, did not have a turnover, I believe, throughout the whole postseason, and they pretty much cruised to a Super Bowl. That's right, cruised. Now, I understand they had to work hard in Denver, and you could thank Chris Harris for Jacoby Jones getting behind him and that late touchdown that pushed it into overtime, and that was the one game that the Ravens had to sweat out, but... By beating the Colts in the wildcard round. And yes, the aforementioned game in Denver, which just obliterated the Broncos' hopes that year. That was the Peyton Manning 55 touchdown MVP year, his first year in Denver. How they just pulled a plug on what a lot of people thought were the Broncos heading to a Super Bowl. And it's interesting because this path, the way the Ravens are going, a lot of people are going to look at them as the favorite. We know that Lamar Jackson, after his performance yesterday, has pretty much locked the MVP award, which will be number two to go on top of his mantle. But this is what I fear about this Raven team, that even in that year, and I understand you can't compare eras or years, whatever, but I worry about John Harbaugh, and that's my point. In a big game, in a big spot, we saw it earlier in those two aforementioned games against the Colts at home, where he went for it in midfield and Probably should have punted, and I get it that you have to go for it, but it set up the Colts to get the game-winning field goal in overtime, and they lost that game. And then the game in Pittsburgh where they could have extended their lead and they could have gone home with a victory, but Lamar Jackson threw a terrible interception, and the Ravens came out losers one more time in a game that had no business losing. So John Harbaugh would scare me from a standpoint of close game, clock management, his decision-making, and that year... In 2012, and I understand that it's 11 years ago. But for Harbaugh, you would think that he would push the right buttons and make the right changes. I can't 100% trust him. And he would scare me in a big spot. And we saw them implode against Tennessee in the divisional round when they were 14-2 and when Lamar won the MVP that year. And there's been a lot of growth since then, so I'm not going to compare Lamar Jackson that year to this year because he seems to be just a completely different player from his MVP season in 2018-2019, around that time. But, the other thing that would scare me too, and this ties into Harbaugh, do you really trust Lamar Jackson 100% in your gut if you're an NFL fan? In a big spot. Forget about a regular season game, forget about what happened here the last two weeks, understood. 
he showed and proved that he could play in a regular season game that's meaningful and come up big. But let me see this now in January and even into February on whether or not he's going to be able to take his team to the promised land. Because if they're not going to do it this year, when are they going to do it? This team's going to have all the pressure on their back. And I understand this isn't a football hotbed. Now, it once was with the Baltimore Colts. I understand that. And obviously, there is a lot of passion for football in that region. But it's not Boston or New England with the Patriots. It's not Green Bay. It's not Pittsburgh. They're foes from the little bit of the West and a bit North. Those cities that are just born and bred football. Where Baltimore is also a baseball town with the Orioles. But this is going to be these next couple of weeks, one to really keep an eye on to see how they're going to play this game and how, as they get into the postseason, how they will perform. And like I said before, and I'll say one last time before I move on, the Ravens are a front-running team. This is a team that wants to get a lead and let their defense take over. Similar to the Niners, as I've talked about. This team, they do have come-from-behind capability, but one more time, when the money is on the line, when the pressure is at its tightest, and let's say it's 20 to 10 with about eight minutes to go in the third quarter, and maybe Lamar is going to squeeze the ball a little bit too tight, or maybe he's going to try to do a little bit too much. We saw again in that Titan game in the divisional round, mind you, five years ago. I understand that. But they had a magical season, and he was an MVP that year. Do you mean to tell me that that can't happen again if they fall behind early, or if they're getting dominated at the line of scrimmage? And the Justice Hills and a lot of these guys aren't making the plays that they're able to make in November and December. Just keep that in the back of your skulls, people, because these are receipts that I will pull up down the road if the Ravens somehow, some way, implode along the way. And as far as the Dolphins, real quick, they show that they're frauds. And as it is, they have a playoff game. This coming Sunday, Sunday night, Buffalo going into Miami. If Buffalo wins, they're going to get a two seed. And the Dolphins, as I mentioned on Thursday, going into this game, they had an opportunity to play for a one seed or they could go as far down as six. And if they do lose that game against the Bills Sunday night, they could be one and done. And mind you, they could be going to Kansas City, a team that has been floundering here. As you saw that yesterday against the Bengals, they were not crisp, dropping passes, Their offense has been erratic, as we know. But can you trust Miami go to Kansas City, win a game? And I'm not talking about Frankfurt, where they came back and Tua had the fumble there sometime in November when they lost 21-14. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about them going to KC to win a road game to save their lives. As we've seen here with the Dolphins, they've been unable to do that this year. Similar to the Cowboys, as I've talked about time after time. How those two teams mirror one another, similar to Baltimore and San Francisco. So that's what we have here with the Dolphin team that I'm sure they're going to look at this opportunity to say, hey, at least we'll get a two seed. We may have to worry about Baltimore down the road, but they have two weeks to get to that point if the chips fall where they may. So the Dolphins, it's do or die, and this would be a devastating blow if the Dolphins do not get out of this game alive coming Sunday. And that's what makes the NFL fascinating here leading into a week 18. But what's also fascinating as I go through it here and what happened yesterday, the Philadelphia Eagles, they were this close to being tied by the Giants there on Christmas afternoon into the evening last week. And they're playing a stretch where they could have lost. Think about this. They could have lost five straight games. We know what happened against San Francisco. We know what happened in Dallas. We know what happened even in Seattle in the closing seconds. And then the Giants, they did a Houdini act and just were able to sweat out that game to become victorious. And then yesterday is the most inexplicable one of all. They had a 21-6 lead at halftime against a team that has been out to sea in the Arizona Cardinals. And what happened? James Conner comes back to Pennsylvania, similar to what he did weeks earlier against the Steelers, where he rushed for 104 yards and two touchdowns. Well, please, he did even one better coming back to his hometown state, or his home state, excuse me, as he just had another epic game, 20-some-odd rushes. I think it was 26 for 132, had a couple more touchdowns. And the Cardinals came back to beat the Eagles 35-31 at the link. 
And now you really have to severely wonder whether or not the Eagles are going to have any length in this postseason. As it is right now, they are the five seed in the NFC. And mind you, the Cowboys are number two because they have a better conference record. And I think Dallas will still keep the two based on their common opponent. Because remember, Dallas beat the Jets. Now, Dallas did lose to Arizona, but now also with this loss here, that damages any tiebreaker aspect of them getting the two seed. And you also have to remember other tiebreakers along the way. Now, they both lost to San Francisco, so no harm, no foul there. But there have been other instances when we look at the teams that they played and they've beaten. Dallas has the advantage there that even if both teams win, and Dallas has to go to Washington, and who knows? Washington, we understand they're another team that's been out to sea. But I could see them rallying the troops to beat the hated Cowboys and will what be Ron Rivera's last game as head coach and watch them beat the Cowboys. Because the Cowboys have not been good on the road as we've seen, especially against a big team. And we all know that the Commanders are not a big team. But for the Eagles, I tell you, their fan base, they have to be sick right now because even though at 10-1 and after they beat Buffalo, they're in the latter part of November, I think that was Thanksgiving weekend, and yes, they have not played as crisp and as dominant as they had been the year before, but they were 10-1. and one. And here they are now at 11-5 and five, and just crawling to the finish line. And you have to think that this team, unless they right in the ship and maybe blow out the Giants 49-3 up the turnpike at MetLife, this looks like a team that, could they win a playoff game on the road? They'll have to go to Tampa, and Tampa's going to be in a fight right now based on their performance yesterday against the Saints. But... When we look at Philly in that 4-5 matchup, whether it would be against Tampa or New Orleans, that's a toss-up, but you would think that the Eagles will come out alive. And then after that, you mean to tell me they're going to go back to San Francisco after that bludgeoning you saw in their own building there a few weeks ago? So you have that scenario if you're an Eagle fan. And then speaking of the Cowboys, talk about a late Christmas gift. Because the Detroit Lions, who I know they're kicking themselves, and even though it wasn't all on them, And Dan Campbell, you do even have to question whether or not he should have gone for two on those two separate occasions, or especially maybe the third one. How about that? But when they get the touchdown there late at 20-19, and then for them to go for two, which we've seen time after time after time, and Dan Campbell, we know he's a type of guy where he believes in his offense, he believes in his team, he's going to be aggressive. I had no problem with him going for the win there. And as it was, as we saw with the offensive lineman making himself eligible, In the replay, when he goes to the field from that high video shot that we saw there on Saturday night, and for whatever the reason, Brad Allen and their crew missed that, and they've also missed a couple of other key plays throughout the course of the season with their officiating crew, and I wouldn't even think that they would sniff the postseason based on their performance this year. And we understand that the officiating has been atrocious when we take a look at several different occasions throughout the course of the season, and they definitely cannot have that come a week from this coming Saturday. But when the Lions get screwed out of that, and they should have won the game, but they went for two again, and then Dallas had a defensive penalty to where they were able to get the ball and attempt a third two-point conversion, and it fell short there, over there on the left hash mark, well short of the goal line. And the Lions, I'm sure that was a tough flight back from Dallas-Fort Worth to the Motor City, knowing that, The Eagles lost, and of course they can't forecast on whether or not that was going to happen, but if they would have won that game, they would have been in the driver's seat for the two seed, have two home games in their building, and not have to worry about going to San Francisco to the championship game. And Dallas, all you have to do is just count your lucky stars and be grateful that they may have the two seed when it's all said and done. And if they do, they'd rather have that road than to go the road that they had last year when they were the five seed, one in Tampa, and then lost in San Francisco, where here they'll play the seven seed, which could be the Rams, it could be the Seahawks, the Vikings, it could be a bunch of teams. And then have the next game, the division around in their building before having to worry about San Francisco if it gets that far. But boy, you had a wild weekend here in the NFL, and there were a lot of different games that when we take a look at the schedule there yesterday. Now, Saturday night was the only game. You didn't really have a full 4.30, 8.30, or 8.15 matchup there on Saturday. You did have Dallas-Detroit, which was obviously a barn burner at the end. 
But I have to give credit to the Cleveland Browns because on Thursday night to beat the Jets, it was a celebratory mood as this is only the third time since the Browns were reincarnated in 1999 that they've made it to the NFL playoffs. And that was a big win for that organization considering four quarterbacks this year. You would think that Kevin Stefanski, he should be the coach of the year by far for those who are wrapped up in that. But the Browns were able to set off a celebration unlike any other. That's a football town tried and true. They're starving for any attention, for any success. We could go back to the 80s with the fumble and the drive and all of the ineptitude, especially since they've been there by Lake Erie since 1999. But now the team and their fans and even the city believes that maybe they could have a postseason run unlike any other. Does it mean it's going to be a Super Bowl? I'm not going to say that right now, and I would say no. But if they're going to go to Jacksonville or maybe even to Indianapolis or Houston when it's all said and done, and if they could steal a wild card game there, and if the six or seven seeds do not advance, guess where Cleveland goes to play in the divisional round if that's going to be the case? Baltimore. And that would be a fascinating game. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. That's for down the road. But kudos to Cleveland and what they did as they secured themselves the five seed. Obviously, they cannot win the division based on the Ravens. And they are pretty much, I would think maybe they want to squash the Bengals because they've had their number over the years. But I would think maybe they'll rest a lot of their key players. It's only one week. It's not the Ravens where they have two weeks. I would think they'll probably give Joe Flacco, considering the run that he's had, maybe he gets a couple of drives under his belt and then they take him out. They'll put the back up in there, P.J. Walker, and I'm sure the Miles Garrett of the world and the key defensive players and even some of their skilled offensive players. I know Amari Cooper had had some injuries that he's nursing. So the Browns, one more time, congratulations to them for what they did there on Thursday night and clinching a playoff berth. But yesterday, I'll cut right to it. I usually try to save them for last, but the Steelers did a hell of a job in Seattle with that win there yesterday. And they ran the ball... Their offense, back-to-back 30-point performances. Really? What Steeler team is this? And I'm sure, to a certain degree, that Coach Mike Thomas probably kicking himself not putting in Mason Rudolph. And listen, I'm not trying to make him out to be Terry Bradshaw, but knowing that Mitch Trubisky was just completely inept, and I'm sure the team was not inspired by his leadership, For Rudolph to have these back-to-back games where he's thrown for almost 275 yards plus in each game, like I mentioned, 30 points, 34 last week, 30 yesterday, on the road in Seattle, hostile environment, even with a ton of Steeler fans in the building. But the key play in this game at 24-20, when it looked like they were going to have to turn the ball over or at least punt on a third and seven, Mason Rudolph finds George Pickens there deep in the left, or excuse me, in the right flat, and he makes a diving catch to not only extend the drive, but it they kick a field goal, and who knows, that could have been the turning point of the game, because if that pass was incomplete, 24-20, the Seahawks get the ball, who knows what happens there, maybe they go down the field to score a touchdown, and now all the pressure's on Pittsburgh to go down the field to tie the game, as it was, they did get that clutch catch there by Pickens, that turned into three points, next thing you know, you had a sack strip fumble by Nick Herbig, Steelers recover, they kick another field goal, and then they make it 30-20. to They hang on to win 30-23 to as they run out the clock. And just a huge win for the Steelers to keep their playoff chances alive. And it's weird because they have quite a few avenues to get into the postseason. And I'll just say this right now while I'm on the subject. They can get in the playoffs various ways. Obviously, they need to win. If they lose, they're done. So knowing that they're the first game of the weekend... There's no Thursday night game, people. The Thursday night schedule is over. 4.30 in Baltimore. If they win that game, then they'll wait to see what's going to happen at night between the Texans and Colts because that's a loser-leaves-town match, as I mentioned. But if that game ends in a tie, now think about this. If somehow, some way, the Colts and Texans tie, the Steelers are in the playoffs. But the likelihood of that happening are very slim and none. So now we got to move on to Sunday. We are going to have to be big-time supporters of the Titans and the Dolphins because if the Jaguars lose to the Titans the Steelers will then go into the postseason but if Jacksonville wins we have to hope for Miami to beat Buffalo because if the 
Dolphins win, the Steelers will get in based on the better conference record that the Steelers will have over the Buffalo Bills. And the reason why you have the tiebreaker with Jacksonville is because they'll have a better record as both teams are at 9-7, and seven, even though Jacksonville beat Pittsburgh earlier this year. But again, if Jacksonville loses and Pittsburgh wins, they're in the postseason. So they have a few avenues that they could go down and hope for, and they need to win first. All this will be moot if they don't come out of Baltimore alive with a victory. So just keep that in mind as we move it along. Other big games of yesterday, the Buccaneers. You talk about a team that just shot themselves in the foot. Just a future performance there. They start off the game. Think about this. For a team that had been on a roll, had won some big games along the way, how do they play in this game in their building? When you get to the fourth quarter, they're down 20 to nothing. And I understand Baker Mayfield, he's had a very good year, a comeback year. And I would think that whether it's in Tampa or somewhere else, maybe he'll latch on to a team and get a decent contract. But yesterday was an indication that, who knows, maybe Baker Mayfield is that quarterback that could be that hot guy one week where you may not believe or feel that he could do the job and then he does it. You're like, hey, all right, great. And then you're thinking, oh, we beat the Saints earlier this year. I'm sure Baker at home, familiar surroundings, a win and they're in. Eh, they stink the bed. And that was just a terrible performance knowing that the Saints, who I understand, they were desperate, they needed to win this game in the worst way, and they surely did. And they've also been an up-and-down type of team. The whole division has been just that and then some. And even with the Falcons and what happened in Chicago yesterday, which I don't need to get into because the Bears just steamrolled the Falcons and pretty much put them out the pasture. But that was just a terrible performance by the Buccaneers looking to punch their ticket to the postseason. And now... They still have destiny in their own hands, but they're going to have to win on Sunday. Now, mind you, they're going to play Carolina. Now, does Carolina rally the troops for one last effort to at least have some good feel going into the offseason, a season that is now 2-14, and and their owner, who I can't stand, David Tepper, what is he doing? Throwing drinks. There was a video, and I didn't see it. But does it sound far-fetched for that guy who is one of the new kids on the block, the shiny new toy, let me flex my new owner muscles, and here he is throwing drinks on fans of the Jacksonville Jaguars as they lost 26-0 there on the road. That guy's a disgrace. He needs to go back to his hedge funds and do, I mean, please. I I I don't even want to spend another second talking about this guy. But let's see if Carolina, one more time, if they could upset the apple cart and maybe throw a wrinkle there in the Buccaneer season to where the Saints will prevail and win a division. Who knows? Stranger things have happened. As we all know, that is the NFL. Buffalo, they won their game against New England yesterday. So now we have the big matchup there Sunday night. Buffalo-Miami, as I mentioned. If Buffalo wins, they'll get the two seed. If they don't, they could be out of the postseason. But of course, that means Pittsburgh has to win and Jacksonville and a bunch of other teams. I'm sure they could still get in even with a loss, but they would need all those teams to lose. So, destiny is in their own hands. They know if they come out of Hard Rock Stadium with a win, they'll have the AFC East Championship under their belt and back to Buffalo and then have two home games in their building. But we saw how that happened last year when they had two home games. They barely beat Miami and they got obliterated by the Bengals. So, as I said on Thursday, even though Buffalo's riding high, and we'll talk more about that game on Thursday, but I'm not so sure that all of the ills that were plaguing the Buffalo Bills from the middle of the year up until this stretch run, that all of a sudden they're going to be cured and headed on a Super Bowl championship run unlike anything we've ever seen. For that, I have to believe it when I see it. Other games of note, San Francisco beat the Commanders. No big whoop there, but they clinched the one seed in the NFC. So nothing much to discuss there. I talked a little bit about Cincinnati and Kansas City. The Chiefs, Who knows if they're even going to get out of their first round game alive. And they'll host that game and then have to go on the road if they do win that game. And we haven't seen that as I've talked about here in the last few weeks of the podcast. The Chiefs in the Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes era has not played a playoff road game. Which is almost unfathomable to think. But it just goes to show how dominant they've been over this five, six year run. That this will be the first year if they do win that wildcard game that they'll go on the road to be a visitor in a playoff game. So now we have the Bengals who are over and out, done for the year. I know disappointing, especially with Joe Burrow being out. 
But those are the breaks. And I'm sure if the hunger is going to be there, whether it's Jamar Chase sniping at the Chiefs, even in the post game, maybe he had some sour grapes. Who knows? They were probably in his ear and did not have a big game where he had three catches, 41 yards. So it wasn't as if he had his fingerprints all over that game. He was a guy that we all know, Pro Bowl or Pro Talent, but came up small in that game yesterday at Arrowhead. What else could I look at here? Rams winning against the Giants. That was a close game. I didn't only really file that game as close as I should have, but the Rams came out alive, and what a job by Sean McVay. They made me look bad with my over-unders, and I know I haven't gotten into my over-unders. I'll wait till next week to recap it all, but I actually may end up 4-2 and two with what's gone on here, but again, we'll talk about that then as opposed to right this second, but for the Rams, give it up to them. The Packers just blew out the Vikings at the U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. So the Vikings, you could say bye-bye to their playoff chances. Although, I don't know if they're officially eliminated. That, I need to peek the standings. And that's a bad job by Jay Reels. But I know that the Vikings were hanging around here almost to the end. And yes, they do have an outside shot with the Packers who boosted their playoff chances. But at the same time, it's not a foregone conclusion that they are going to be in with the win. They're going to need some help along the way. As a matter of fact, let me just double check that because again, I should have known better before I put the cart before the horse. When we look at the Packers and give it up for what Matt LaFleur has done, he has done an excellent job. And yes, right now because of the tiebreaker scenario and with Seattle losing, and that was a crushing loss for the Seahawks, even though they go to Arizona at the end of the year, but Green Bay is now in the seventh seed in the NFC. So they did leapfrog over Seattle as Green Bay right now looks to hang on for dear life as they have to play the Bears at home to close out the season. And the Bears have played pretty well, so it's not an automatic that the Packers are going to win this thing. So you have that. And then as I take a look at what else is happening on the schedule, I'm not going to get into Atlanta, Chicago, as I mentioned. Other games of note here as we get to this final weekend of the NFL season. Talked about Carolina, Jacksonville, Denver, even with Jared Stidham, and we talked about Russell Wilson the other day. He's going to be off the team based on a lot of the money that he's owed going to, and they're going to have a lot of dead money on the cap. But Jared Stidham, even though Sean Payton said he gives us the best opportunity to win, and even though they won, not impressive against a Charger team that we all know has been very unimpressive all year, and with the new interim coaching staff, you knew that that was going to be, not to say an easy win for Denver, but certainly wasn't going to be a game where they're going to have to sweat it out tooth and nail as it was. It was 16-9, to but... Denver did win, and Stidham will get one last crack as they close out their season in Vegas. And then Vegas and Indianapolis, let's talk about that game quick. That was nonsense. That call on Jack Jones, the cornerback, at 20, what was it, 20 to 13, where they said he was offsides as he blocked that field goal attempt. There were other instances, especially in that Miami-Baltimore game, where there was a sack on Tua, where the defensive lineman, I understand he timed the snap, But you could tell he was offsides where Jack Jones, and I watched the replay, he posted it on his Twitter feed, how yes, fraction of an inch, but I don't even think he was in a neutral zone. If they would have blocked that field goal, as it was, the game was 23-20 Indianapolis, which pretty much iced the Raiders' chances of winning or getting a playoff spot. But the officiating again, rearing its ugly head, and I understand in the naked eye, it's going to look like he's offsides. But sometimes these players are going to time these snaps. And it wasn't egregious to the point where you could tell a quarter of his body or even the helmet was past the line of scrimmage. And therefore, the Raiders get screwed. Again, I know that's a tough judgment call in real time. But when you watch the replay, again, it just makes you shake your head how these officials are off on a lot of these judgment calls. So, tough break for the Raiders and the Colts. Again, live to see another week. When it comes to the playoffs. And let me see if I've covered everything there. Let me see all the games. Green Bay. Yeah, pretty much covers everything. I know Tennessee and Houston. Houston won 26-3. Big whoop there. CJ Stroud did come back as Houston stays alive. Now let me get through these playoff permutations as we head to a week 18. And I'll get through more of the schedule and some of the big games on Thursday's podcast. But as of right this moment, as we look at the playoff picture... We know both one seeds are clinched in the AFC and NFC. That's held by Baltimore and San Francisco. Now as we'll take a look, we'll start off with the AFC. 
The two seed right now belongs to the Miami Dolphins, but they're hanging by a thread because, as I mentioned, Buffalo's going down there, and that's going to be for the two seed when it's all said and done. But Miami is currently entrenched at the two, followed by Cleveland. Now, I understand Cleveland and Miami have the same record, and people could argue, well, wait a minute, the Browns have a better conference record. Shouldn't the Browns have the two seed? Well, remember, they're going to make it as a wild card because they're not a division leader. So, therefore, even though they're at a flat-footed tie and would have the advantage... In a different scenario, but they're going to be the five seed where the Chiefs are currently are the three seed, followed by Jacksonville at this very moment. But we all know if Jacksonville loses and either Houston or Indianapolis wins, they'll win the division. So that's what you have there with the AFC South. Then you have Cleveland at five, Buffalo at six, but Buffalo could be out if they lose and Pittsburgh wins. So remember that as I discussed that earlier. And then the teams that are on the outside looking in, After Buffalo, well, you have the 7th seed in Indianapolis, but then after that, you have Houston as the 8th seed, and then Pittsburgh as the nine. Those are the last teams standing in the AFC to try to make it into the postseason. I've already detailed what Pittsburgh needs to do to get into the postseason. And one more time, whomever wins, Texans, Colts, 8-15, ABC. I don't know if that's going to be Aikman and Buck doing the call, you would think, because it's prime time. But whomever wins that game, they'll make it into the postseason. And in the NFC, Dallas has your two seed, as we talked about. Detroit is at three. The Bucks right now hanging by a thread at four, followed by the Eagles at five, the Rams at six, who have already clinched, and the Packers at seven. We have Seattle, New Orleans, and even though Minnesota is still alive, and even Atlanta at seven and nine is still alive because they can win a division based on them beating New Orleans and then also Tampa losing. And you would have three teams at 8 and 9, but you'd have Atlanta win just based on the tiebreakers. Obviously, if the Buccaneers win, they'll win the division. But if the Buccaneers lose to Carolina and New Orleans beats Atlanta, New Orleans will be the division winner and they'll host in the wildcard round. And then obviously, if Atlanta does beat New Orleans with Tampa losing, they will host the wildcard round in their building in all likelihood right now against the Eagles. And that is your NFL Week 17 and your up-to-the-date moment or minute on what's happening with the playoff scenarios as, again, looking forward to how this weekend is going to unfold. You know I'm going to be all over it. And we still have a few days to exhale and certainly digest all that's happened here over the last 24 hours and get ready for the final weekend of the NFL season. All right, now let's turn our attention to the college football playoff, which is really just... A short time from now, and the only questions that I have here going into this double dip, the Rose Bowl between Michigan and Alabama, followed by Washington and Texas, and that is your Sugar Bowl, 845, which that game is late. That game's going to end at 1230. I may be in bed, people. Obviously, it's back to business tomorrow. It is going to be a late night. You know these college football games, although they've been a little bit quicker, but in a playoff setting, This is probably going to be three and a half hours, and I don't know if yours truly is going to want to stay up after midnight. I will definitely be on top of it, but if I feel that one team is running away, and we know with Washington and their defense, this game probably has 42-35 written all over it, but I'm fascinated more by Michigan-Alabama because to me, there's so much pressure on Michigan to win this game, and a lot of that has to do with them not really playing a big-time team and people will say, Jerry Rios, how could you say that? They beat Ohio State this year. They beat Penn State. I understand that. And Ohio State, we understand, they're a top 10 ranked team. But now they're going up a step in class. And we saw that there two years ago during the first semifinal game when they got manhandled by Georgia. And Alabama and Georgia are pretty much 1-1A one one or almost mirror images of one another. And now you have a scenario where Alabama, as I talked about on Thursday, which is almost preposterous to say, but they're playing with house money. Because let's say if they lose a 31-17 type game. Yes, will Alabama look bad? Will the Crimson Tide? It's all about championships. Understood. But again, Michigan was game. And Michigan has a semifinal beast to slay here. And who knows if Jim Harbaugh is going to come back, the coach of the team, considering everything that's transpired over the course of this year. The suspension early on, the first three games. The suspension later on with the sign-stealing scandal. So this could be it for the coach. And I would think that if they're going to show and prove to the world that they belong on the stage, and they do, based on their performance throughout the course of the year, 
But it's not a matter of getting there, it's what you do when you get there. And what we've seen two years ago and then last year against TCU where they vomited all over themselves, now they could erase all that by beating an Alabama team who, as we all know, under Nick Saban, it's championship or bust. And this may not be a vintage Alabama team, but they're still Alabama. And this is where I'm going to find if the Wolverines are ready to take that next step. And I don't want to hear them lose a close, heartbreaking type of game where it comes down to the wire. That happened last year against TCU. A team that, I'm not going to say had no business being there. They deserve to be there, but let's face it. Michigan got stopped at the goal line, turnovers left and right. They imploded in the game and literally gave it to the Horn Frogs. This time around, you know, if Alabama, all they need is to get an inch and they'll just barge through the door. Where TCU, you just kind of wait for the other shoe to drop, but they delivered. They stood up to the test. They capitalized on those turnovers, on those opportunities, and they won the game. And now Alabama, huh, they get one turnover, and you know they're going to try to do their best to steamroll through this Wolverine offense, defense, etc. But with that being said, I'm sure a lot of people think that Alabama's going to win the game. I'm sure a lot of people think that Michigan is probably going to steamroll the Crimson Tide. This is not a gut pick. This is somewhat of an anti, and everybody knows I can't stand the Crimson Tide and Nick Saban, etc. But I would think Michigan is due, and I'm sure they've heard it in their ears throughout. And who knows, maybe Jim Harbaugh has told the team that, guys, this may be it for me. So let's go on out there. Let's play as crisp and dominant football that we've done all year long and really over the last two years. But when we've gotten to this point, we haven't sealed the deal. And I want to get to that next level. I want to play a week from tonight in a national championship game. And I think they're going to prevail. Do I think it's going to be easy? No. But I think it's going to be a one-score game. I wouldn't be surprised if it's 31-27, I could see it being that type of game. But I got news for you. If this is a game where Michigan comes out of the gate and then somehow, way in the third and fourth quarter, Alabama's hanging around, that is going to be dangerous. And I would not be surprised if Alabama and all of their good fortune, their history, etc. just shines on that field there in Pasadena to where they come out victorious. I would not be surprised. But I think Michigan, they'll find a way. And remember the last time Michigan won a national championship. And mind you, this isn't a national championship, but the last time they won the whole thing and it was a split national championship, if you remember, back in 97... When they beat Washington State, Ryan Leaf and Charles Woodson, that interception in the end zone. That was the last time they won a big game there. And now they're in that same setting, what is it? 27 years later. Or 26, that was 97 and 98. So let's see if maybe that Michigan Magic could come back and have them victorious. So where they could go on to a national championship. And in Washington and Texas, I love Washington's offense. You have the big time receivers. You have the running back there, Dylan Johnson, who I really like. And they're going to try to spread the ball. They're going to try to take chances, take shots. Pretty much what Washington's done all year against a secondary that can be thrown on. Now their defensive line, their front four could be dangerous toward the Washington in the trenches, the offensive line, and put a lot of pressure on Michael Penix Jr. This game, again, it has 42-35 written all over it. I'm going to stick with Washington because I want to see them get to that next level. No offense to Texas. I think Texas could win the game as well. Because this is going to be some stiff competition, but they played some stiff competition along the way. They beat Oregon twice, and that's all you need to know. So the team is battle-tested. It's not as if they haven't played anybody. It's not as if that you know they had a cake schedule. No, they've had some very stout opponents there in the Pac-12. But I think Texas, even with their quarterback, Quinn Ewers, and what they're capable of doing on offense, this is going to be a shootout. This could go down to who has the ball last. But I think Washington will prevail when it's all said and done in a high-scoring affair. And then we could talk about the game there. I understand it'll be a couple days after the fact, but definitely check my YouTube channel as I'll do a little recap on both of the games on my channel. And then we'll set it up for what will be a national championship, NRG Stadium in Houston there a week from today. And let's see who will be representative to play in the last college football game and the first championship of the new year. All right, now let me turn my attention to the association, put up my high tops, and let's get cracking here. The Detroit Pistons. Everybody has let out a big, giant sigh of relief. The streak is over. They beat the Toronto Raptors there a couple of nights ago in Detroit. 
And they actually almost won Thursday night against the Celtics. They had a 21-point lead in the game, and then the Celtics had to come all the way back, went into overtime. That would have been an utter embarrassment for the Celtics, as we know they've had a great start to their season and have been in first place in the East pretty much from the jump. But for the Pistons, who maybe that game was a springboard to the following game, to know that they were that close to beating one of the top dogs in the East, and then they were able to beat Toronto there, on Saturday night, so kudos to the Pistons, or was it Friday night? No, I believe it was Friday, no, I believe it was Saturday night, let me double check that. But give it up, the Pistons, a 28-game losing streak, finally snapped, and I talked about this on the podcast on Thursday, whether or not they match the overall NBA season record for futility at 9-73, and that was held by the 72-73 Sixers, Now, they're a third of the way there with their three wins. So, can they eke out seven wins? You don't want to match that record if you're the Detroit Pistons. You definitely don't want to break it. And you certainly don't want to be the team that's going to be identical when it comes to the worst season in NBA history. But for the time being, them winning against the Raptors, and even with those by the slimmest of margins, but... You have to wonder whether or not this team can now, with the piano off their backs, and knowing that they could actually exhale a little bit. Now, we understand that there's still, what, 50-some-odd games to go, or less than that, because now, what are they, 3-29? and 29. So, yeah, they're actually right on the dot, 50 games to go for the remainder of the season. And the only thing that I'll say then to the Pistons is that, yes, just get to 10. Because you would think that by them not being able to match or even break that record will be, I get it. It's a moral victory when it's all said and done, but at least you won't have that on your ledger, especially if you're Monty Williams the first time that you become coach here of this franchise. Obviously, he coached in Phoenix, but yes, that game was Saturday night that the Pistons did beat the Raptors, so kudos to them. And who they have on the schedule upcoming, they have a trip where they go to Houston, Utah, Golden State, Denver, Upcoming, so a West Coast trip, who knows? Maybe they'll start another losing streak. Maybe that won't be the case, but thankfully, we won't have to talk about the Pistons and their long losing streak. And then there was a trade over the weekend where the Knicks, kind of under the radar, traded R.J. Barrett, the former number three overall pick. That was in the year where Zion and John Morant came out. And they also traded Emmanuel quickly to Toronto for O.G. Anunobi, a very good two-way player, a guy that, I think would fit well with the Knicks and a Knicks team that is looking to maybe not become one of the behemoths of the East with Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia, but they certainly want to be in that four, five, six range. They certainly don't want to be in that six, seven, eight range where they have to go up against the likes of those three teams. But that was a very shrewd trade by Leon Rosen company. And it was also weird too, because These two teams have a history where there was a lawsuit that came down, and I didn't really get into this because this is so behind the scenes, and it's between two teams that one is relevant, and the Raptors, you know, they're trying to find their way under a new coach and have not really played well here, obviously evidenced by the loss to the Pistons there the other night. But with this trade, they had that dispute where the Knicks sued the Raptors, and certain members of the organization over the summer because of alleged behavior by the former Nick employee sending some confidential records or just some, maybe you want to call it insider information to the Raptors upon his departure. So therefore, you know, tampering and stuff that's illegal that went involved. And I don't even believe that that's been closed as of yet. And knowing that these two organizations had consummated a trade and a pretty good one at that now is it a blockbuster it's not but for them to engage in these type of discussions and with Anunobi being a unrestricted free agent at the end of the year same for Pascal Siakam and you would think that the Raptors are going to do whatever it takes to re-sign him but the Knicks I thought made a very good trade there Barrett never seemed to get his footing here had his moments but for whatever the reason has not been that player that a lot of people thought coming out of Duke would have been not just a complimentary player, but at least an effective player. A guy that you could truly rely on, truly trust. He hasn't been that guy. And when you're a number three pick overall, and I understand that was a tough break because a lot of people thought if the Knicks got the number one pick with Zion, or even if they got two with, with John Morant, 
who knows what the fortunes of the franchise would have been. As it is, you get Barrett, and now he's been jettisoned north of the border. And although you bring up back a very good player in Anunobi, and although they do have to sign him on the dotted line, but it does add a glue guy, a good component that is going to bring some fire, is going to bring some passion. He can score, but more of that two-way player where you'll have more Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle be the guys to make the big shots. So I thought that was a very good trade by the Knicks here just a couple days ago. And other than that in the association, and of course we'll get more into it now that we're into the new year and in the month of January because obviously everything has been about football. But Thursday I'll get more into the NBA. I know John Morant was a player of the week last week or two weeks ago now where his team had won four straight games and it looked like the Grizzlies were on the way back. But for Memphis, as we get to take a look at what they've been doing since then and his return to win four in a row, they've actually gone backwards Losers of three straight, so there you go. They took four steps forward and now three steps back to where they're just a game over 500 since his return. So let's see if they could now have to start to get the engine running to go back up the hill to get themselves back into relevancy in the Western Conference. But besides that, I know that speaking of the Knicks, the T-Wolves, the leaders out West, they're in town and will be playing. As a matter of fact, they're actually playing as i recording this. So let's see how the T-Wolves fare here in the city against the Knicks. I don't know if they're going to stay in town to play Brooklyn. I don't even think they have played Brooklyn as of yet. But the T-Wolves have had a great year, 24-7, and and have certainly played well above their heads. And same for Oklahoma City, as those are the top two teams out west. And everything else is pretty much status quo. And I'll say the same for the NHL. I understand today's the Winter Classic. I talked about that on Thursday's pod. I know Seattle... And Vegas, these are the two new expansion teams. T-Mobile Park where the Mariners play. That game is, I'm sure it's already underway. If not, maybe it's about to start, 3.30. Remember, it is out west, so you have the three-hour time difference here from the East Coast. But are a ton of people here, day after New Year's Eve, want to watch something. Maybe they're more wrapped up in the college football, which will start at 5, where do they really want to watch a hockey game, even though it's outdoors? against two teams that, yes, one is a defending Stanley Cup champion, but the other is a third-year team that a lot of people don't really have a good feel or grasp for. I'm sure it's probably not going to crack a million people. You're going to have either the diehard sports fan that's going to wait till 5 o'clock to watch the Michigan-Alabama game, or maybe they're watching the league pass to watch the Knicks or whatever other afternoon game is there on the NBA. But NHL, even though the Rangers have played well, they split in Florida, winning against the Panthers there, or excuse me, losing against the Panthers, but then they just blitzkrieg the Tampa Bay Lightning there on Saturday. 51 points are the first team to get to 50 points this season. And that says a lot because remember, the Bruins, Vegas, they got off to tremendous starts. And for the Rangers to get to that point, you know a lot of pressure is going to be on them to win a cup considering last year. And even though they fizzled out in the first round with all the trades that they made, At the deadline, Patrick Kane, Vladimir Tarasenko to try to get themselves some Stanley Cup experience to get that deep postseason run that they were hoping for. The year prior where they were up to love against the Tampa Bay Lightning and then spit the bit by losing the next four. So we'll keep an eye on the Rangers here as we go through the NHL. And then lastly, as I get in the batter's box for baseball, I am not an Atlanta Brave fan. Everybody knows I love the New York Mets, but boy... I have to give them an A++++ for effort. We know what the Dodgers have done this offseason. It's easy for them to throw billions of dollars around to get these key players onto their team and look like the offseason winner when it's all said and done. But all these little moves by Atlanta where they're bringing in guys from other teams and they've been doing this for years. Think about the Matt Olson trade and what he's done there as a member of the Braves. All these guys that have been able to trade here and even guys that have been big parts of their teams, the Kyle Wrights of the world, even the Mike Sorokas that they've jettisoned. And even though they both have suffered some big-time injuries, but they said, "Uh uh-uh, we want to get better. We want to get back to a World Series. We know the Dodgers have been making moves and they can't compete with the Dodgers when it comes to ballooning their payroll up to $300 million, but they are very shrewd And what they do, and that's why they're a successful organization. Case in point, they traded with the Red Sox a very promising young infielder, Vaughn Grissom, shipped him to Boston for Chris Sale. Now, we understand it's a huge gamble. 
Sales had a lot of injuries over the years. Tommy John, shoulder injuries. He even had broken his finger in the middle of the year. Has had, if I'm not mistaken, I won't even say that because that's just alleged with certain accidents, but I'll just leave that right there. But Sale, if he's healthy, he's going to be a guy that's not going to have to be the ace of the staff. You could probably slot him in at two or even three in this rotation. Now, mind you, they have to sign Max Fried. And I believe he's a free agent after next year. Now, that I have to double-check, too, because obviously I'm not on my baseball mojo. Obviously, it's all NFL this time of the year when it comes to these free agents and stuff. But when Max Fried, who, for all intents and purposes, is your ace of the Atlanta Braves staff, but let's say Fried comes back, and then you have Spencer Strider, who, as we all know, is a bona fide, could be an ace on any rotation. And to go along with Chris Sale, that is as good of a one, two, three punch that you're going to have. Now, one more time. With Sale and his health, it is a big if and a ginormous question mark. But if he is a guy that could, let's say, give you 26 to 28 starts and be somewhat close to what he once was, not to say he has to strike out 300 guys and be a Cy Young Award contender year in and year out, but be that leader who won a World Series in Boston, a guy that has Cy Young potential, at least in the past, and to bring that experience to a team that we all know they won a World Series two years ago, now going on three, considering the calendar's turned to 2024. But that is a shrewd move because they know Sale has one more year left on his deal. We could just go through that, whether he has a bunch of injuries or whether he pitches to a 2-5 ERA, strikes out 250 guys, and is... 19 and 6. And Freed will be a free agent after next year or this year, now that we're into the new year. So Freed has a big walk year, and who knows? I'm sure if he's healthy, he's going to have, you would think, close to a Cy Young Award winning type of year. So I love what the Braves have done. They've made a lot of big moves. And moves that, again, they're under the radar. They're not the blockbuster type move. They're not the type of transactions that you're going to look at and be like, wow, I can't believe they did this. Or, wow, I can't believe they made this trade or did this. And they've been doing this for years. As I mentioned, Matt Olson, even that Sean Murphy deal, who is the platoon, he more or less started more than Travis Darno, but he was a guy that, as we all know, had a big year with the Braves last year. And this is a team that has made these types of trades that have... Of course, through the draft is where they really built their team, as we know. The Ronald Acuna Juniors, the Austin Rileys. Yeah, we know those guys. But also a move like Jared Kalenic from Seattle, where they said, you know what, I want to take a chance on this guy. And maybe stick it to the Mets a little bit because he was a former number one pick, as we all know, many years ago. But he's a guy that I'm sure has a very high ceiling. They're not paying him any money. And if you could just plug him there in at center field or maybe put him in left field if you have Harrison center, who knows what's going to happen here with Kalenic on a team that is loaded offensively, that does not have to carry the load, and can just fit in and put up 25 and 90 and maybe about 280 in the sleep. So one more time, very good move by the Braves. You got to commend them for what they do. And I know Steve Cohen, the owner of the Mets, he's been watching from afar, but he certainly hasn't been pulling off moves like this. That's for sure. So think about this, people. Pitches and catchers. Count them, six weeks away. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode, the very first one of 2024 in the books. Thank you so much for stopping by. And like I mentioned before, and I'll say one last time, you definitely want to keep your ears to your speakers, headbuds or headphones or earbuds because there's going to be a lot coming down the pike in the days and weeks to come. So definitely stay tuned. Not only here, YouTube channel as well, at J Reels, for the latest and greatest of what's happening with yours truly in the podcast. Thank you so much once again. It goes without saying how much I appreciate your support, as well as just you participating on a day-in, day-out, week-in, week-out level. If you haven't done so, one more time, subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. You know the deal. If you want to hit me up with a question, comment, or suggestion on YouTube, at J Reels, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, X, J Reels, one, just a number, the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com because whether you do or do not know, 
This is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. As I like to say, I'm not going anywhere as long as I'm alive and breathing. And like I said, 2024 is going to be it. I will continue to raise the level and raise the bar of this podcast. One more time. In two months, it'll be six years. It is time to level up. And you want to be a part of this. And I want you guys and gals to be a part of this to see where this is going to go and how far this may take me. Now, do I have the crystal ball to see how it's all going to play out? I do not. But I hope you guys and gals are on board because I'm going to need all the support that I could get. But for those who have supported me one more time, just like I said on Thursday, I'll say now to start off the year, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. One more time, I will continue to deliver the fire, passion, energy, fury with my thoughts, opinions, critiques, praise, analysis, feelings on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to the South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. One more time, Happy New Year. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby.